You know, uh, we're moving through the book of uh, Genesis, and we're really at a point where we're looking at the life of Abraham, one of the great patriarchs of uh, the nation of Israel. And today we're going to look at a passage that really addresses something very contemporary in our own lives. It's possible that you, because I know I have too, you, there's a lot of things in life that we love. Hopefully we love, if we're married, we love our husband or a wife or our spouse. We love our kids if we have children. If we have parents, hopefully we love our parents. Um, some of us love our jobs. And uh, some of us don't quite love them so much. Uh, but there's a lot of things that we can, and, and there's nothing wrong, and hopefully we do love all these things. But the, the, the problem is, is when we overlove when we love them too much, when we put too much weight on them, when we rely upon them too much, when they, they are really our sole source of significance or our sole source of security or our sole source of identity. Uh, we find men are notorious for finding their identity in their work. And so the problem is when those things go away or they start to, we start to lose them, then all of a sudden we struggle. And that's what we want to talk about. Abraham has been promised from God, started in Genesis chapter 12, that he was going to be a great nation, that he was going to bless those, bless those who blessed him and they curse those who cursed him. But ultimately what God said is, but you're going to have a lot of children. You're going to have more children than you can count, more than the stars of the sky, the sand and the sea, uh, seashore. And not only that, you're going to have a, you're going to have, you're going to be a blessing to all the families, all the nations of the earth. Somehow or another, that's going to happen. Now, up to this point, we've talked about it. He has no children. They have no, and they're getting really old. Well, they have a child, and his name is Isaac. Now Isaac is about 12 to 14-ish, somewhere around that age. He's grown up. And God says to, comes to Abraham, and in the text we're going to look at today, God's going to say, okay, you know that son, you know the one you've been waiting for, you know the son of promise, you know the one you really, really, really love? I want you to take him to a place that I'll show you, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And you wonder what, what Abraham was thinking. You know, uh, we've looked at Abraham, and we see that he's a flawed person, a crooked stick, right? But what, we, what we're going to see today is we're going to see Abraham show incredible faith. And it's beyond, I mean, it's, it's incredible. And so we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. If you uh, don't have a Bible or don't have it on your phone, page 17 in the chair Bible in the seat by you. And I'll read the passage and then we'll talk about it. Because this is one of those Old Testament passages that you read and you go, wow, the Bible is an incredible book. Because it's the message from the Old Testament to the New Testament is so intricately tied together. But not only that, it is... It is one of those, one of those uh, passages that we're looking at today that is so incredibly rich. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. 
Now, there's a reason, I believe, why there's so much emphasis on that. He doesn't say, you know, that son of yours, you know, the, the, one, the promised one, bring him. No, he says, the promised one, the one you love so much. Go to the land of Moriah. Go to a place. Uh, go and sacrifice him as an offering. On one of the mountains, which I will show you, the next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled the donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the, saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep or the lamb for the burnt offering? And then these words, to me, if uh, I was underlining anything in the Bible, and I have it underlined in my Bible, God will provide a sheep or a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. So God is testing Abraham's faith. So he calls him to go and to offer his son as a sacrifice. And you say, well, this is barbaric. This is unbelievable. But in Abraham's day, in Abraham's culture, this was common practice. Human sacrifice was part of the worship of the gods. So this wasn't surprising to Abraham. Uh, I believe, though, that God was saw something in Abraham that was going in a bad direction. And his, his, and what was going in a bad direction was his love for his son. You say, how could a love, a father's love for his son go in a bad direction? Well, it can go in a bad direction, go in an awful direction, because if your love for your son supersedes your love for your God, your creator, then it's gone too far. And that's the problem when we love things too much. But notice the reaction. When God says this, Abraham doesn't bargain, he doesn't argue, he doesn't question. There's just obedience. There's just obedience. That's all you see all through the story is obedience. You don't see Abraham questioning God. You don't see Abraham pleading with God. You don't see any of that. You just see flat out, flat out obedience. Now, the question is, why would God ask Abraham to offer his son as a human sacrifice if God himself, and the Bible says this in the Old Testament, he finds human sacrifice deplorable and barbaric? Why would he do it? And this is one of the struggles that we have with this passage. Though human sacrifice was common in Abraham's day, it's one thing for it to be common. It's another thing for God, the God of the universe, to command one of his children to do it. What is he doing? Now, having read the story, we know that uh, God stops Abraham as he had, raises the knife over his son and his, Isaac is bound on the altar and Abraham has the knife up. God, heaven shouts out, the angel shouts out, stop! Spoiler alert, if you never read the story, that's what happens, so sorry to wreck it for you. But... 
Why would God ask Abraham to do something that God himself finds deplorable? Now, there's a few things we need to consider. The first one, uh, so as we do this, uh, I believe there's a couple things that will help us understand this. Number one, I believe it's one thing to say that you believe somebody. It's one thing to say that you love something, somebody. It's another thing to prove it. It's another thing to act it out. It's another, you know, lip service is no service, right? And so what God is doing here is God is wanting to experience Abraham's faith. Now, I want to be careful theologically. I get, I get the fact that God knows the beginning from the end. He knows what Abraham is going to do. He absolutely understands that. But there is a point where, let me put it on human terms because that's all we can understand as far as our perception of God. God already knows what Abraham is going to do. But I believe that one of the things God wants to do is experience Abraham's faith. Now, what I mean by that is, well, let me ask you this. Have you ever taken, uh, and I know you probably have, you have video of your snotty-nosed little children as they've grown up, right? Do you ever pull those videos out and look at them? Or maybe you have taken uh, video of your wedding and you pull that out every year to watch it. And frankly, that's kind of creepy, but go ahead and do that. Um, I'm sure you had a beautiful wedding, and I'm sure it's great, and you're offended, and I'm sorry about that. But I actually recorded over our wedding video, so we don't have to watch it. And I don't know whether I did it on purpose or whatever. No, we didn't ever have a video. Uh, we got married a long... It was a long time ago we got married before they had video cameras. Uh, I'm strained. The point is, uh, let me give you a contemporary illustration. So let's say that you're an Iowa fan... And you uh, taped the game last night because you were busy. And I don't know what you're doing out that late. You should get in earlier anyway. But that being said, you're out and you, you, you are, you're just leaving a restaurant. And all of a sudden, somebody you know says, did you see the kick? It was unbelievable. It was, and you go, no, 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 don't say anything. I haven't watched the game. I want to watch it fresh. But they blurted out. 60-some yard kick, Iowa wins in the last second, right? So you go home, and you get your TV on, and you watch the game, and it's back and forth and back and forth, and, and all of a sudden, you come to that place, and you come to the kick, and you go, oh, he's going to make it. I'm going to just turn it off. <laughs> what do you do? You say, here comes the kick. I can't wait to watch the kick. There he goes. It's set. It's, it's up. It, wow, that kid's got a leg. And you might back it up and watch it again. Why? Because you enjoy that. You pull the video out, maybe at Thanksgiving time of the kids when they're little, and you show them pictures when they're little. Why do you do that? Because you don't remember what they did and what they said. You probably watched. You do it because you enjoy it. You do it because you want to experience it again. I believe one of the reasons that God did this with Abraham is he wanted to experience Abraham's faith. He doesn't, God didn't need it. He just enjoyed it. And he enjoys it when we exercise faith, when we exercise obedience. God enjoys it. He experiences it, us, experiences it with us. But there's another thing going on, too. I believe that God was saying to Abraham 
through this whole uh, asking him to offer his son, I believe what, Abraham, what God was doing is the same thing that God's going to do with Moses as he takes the people out of Egypt and he shows them uh, that he's not that God. I think what he's saying to Abraham is, I'm not that guy. I'm not that human sacrifice guy or I'm not that God. I don't do human sacrifice, Abraham. Let's be real clear about it. I'm, I'm not like the other gods. I don't do that stuff. And so I believe that he wanted him to know it deeply. The next phrase, and this is the one that I encouraged you to underline is in the story, is where God's, or Abraham says to his son Isaac, God will provide a sheep or a lamb for the burnt offering. So it's very clear that Isaac is carrying the wood on his back. His father helped to put the wood on his back. And Abraham is carrying the knife and he's carrying the fire. And they leave the servants and they say, it's interesting, maybe you notice it in the text. As they leave and they go up on the mountain to prepare to do the sacrifice, Abraham instructs the servants and says, we will be back. Wait here. He didn't say, I'll be back. He says, we will be back. So there is a, there is a, 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 this is, this is one of those places where the Old and New Testament come together so powerfully. And Abraham's answer here is filled with faith. Incredibly filled with faith. And God did provide a lamb. As you read on, there's a, a ram caught in the thicket, and that is the lamb that the ram that was offered for the sacrifice. But you think Abraham bound, tied Isaac up. He placed him on the altar. He lifted the knife. And from heaven, God commanded through an angel, stop. Stop. Verse 20, chapter 22, verse 12. Don't lay a hand on the boy. The angel said, do not hurt him in any way, for now I know, God knew before, now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. You have not withheld your son, your only son from me, even he. Now, what I find interesting about this account, there's a number of things, but one of the things is that there's almost no emotion. It's just a matter of fact. God said, Abraham, go offer your son. Abraham got the horses ready, got the animals ready, the servants ready, and they traveled. And a few days later, they arrived. We're going up on the mountain, and they take the wood up there. And, hey, we have everything we need, but we don't have a, a lamb. Oh, God will provide a lamb. And the next thing you know, Abraham is, uh, is over his son with a knife, and his son is bound. And you go, whoa. <laughs> The interesting thing is, even with Isaac, you you have no dialogue with his father and his son. You think, as you read through the story, you're going, if I was Isaac, I would go, Dad, what are you doing? What's going on? What's happening here? And and, uh, But yet, we don't have any of that dialogue. There's none of that dialogue. So I want to ask you a question because God says something very interesting. Now I know that you wouldn't, you, you, you didn't even withhold your son, your beloved son, the one you love, the promised son. You didn't even withhold him from me. What's your idol? 
Abraham came to a place that every one of us does, every one of us will. He was in danger of making his son Isaac, his, the son he loved dearly, the idol, and God would have none of that. God would not allow Abraham to make his son an idol. Now, we think of idols as something that uh, people in third world countries do in Haiti and other places, and they put these idols up all over the place. Uh, but idols really are anything that takes the place of God. We must learn that we need to trust, believe, and live our lives from, to, and for God. We must see our lives as coming from God. We must live, look to God and live for God. We must come to our mountain and sacrifice anyone or anything that takes God's place. Because that's really what's going on here. What's going on here is God is saying, I want to make crystal clear that there is nothing between you and me, including your son of promise. The one you waited for so long and the one you deeply love so much. So the question is, is there someone or something in your life that you have made an idol? We do children's dedications. One of the things that I try to include in many, many times as I pray for the child, as I lay hands on the child and I pray for the child, as I pray, God, help them to love you more than anyone or anything. Because the minute we love anyone or anything more than God, the wheels come off. So the question is, what is it in your life that you maybe right now are leaning on, loving too much more than you're loving God? It could be, you know, good things like, you, like I said, your job. Men, you can love your job so much or lean on it so much for your source of identity. You say, I'm very good at my job. My identity is my job. The minute you get fired, you're done. Who are you now? And men, you know, you, you see men who lose their job and they, they've done very well and they've been very successful and they lose their job and they, they go, who am I? My older brother about five years ago lost his job and I don't ever think he ever recovered from that. He just was, I just didn't have an identity. Mothers with children, you, you want to have these children and you're, you, you take that little child home from the hospital with all of these dreams and, and all of these desires and, and then they grow up and they learn to talk and they say no and I don't like you and stuff like that. And I remember very vividly one of our boys who was too young to go to school and his brothers would get off, go down the porch and get on the bus and I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. And finally his year came where he was able to go and he's all excited and then the day the school started that he was going to get on the bus with his brothers, he decided he didn't want to go to school. I mean, he really decided he didn't want to go to school. And so his brothers got went and got on the bus like they had been for years, and he going like, you know, every little step and finally gets on the bus. And I, I can still see the look in his eye when he looked back and his dark eyes. And he looked at his mother and he said, I hate you. <laughs> he became a, a personal friend of the principal the first week of school. No, they literally walked around together. So what do you do 
when you have all these dreams and you put all this weight and you say, I know I'm a good person because look at what I can do with these children and these children grow up and they go through their teen years and they're in their 20s and you go, oh man, what do I do? See, what God is saying is this. If you allow anyone or anything to become God in your life, you rely upon it too much. When that thing begins to crumble, you will too. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. So God is saying through Paul that we need to, on a regular basis, do that examination, that self-examination to make sure that we have offered ourselves up on the offer and said, God, there's nothing between you and me. There's nothing that I hold dearer or more precious than you. Now, it's interesting, the first time, One of the first times in the gospel accounts where John the Baptist sees Jesus, the first thing he says about Jesus is, oh, there's Jesus. (laughs) No, he doesn't say that. There's the master. There's the teacher. No, he doesn't say that. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it's very prophetic what, what John is saying there. John chapter 1, verse 29. So... How is that? How is it that, uh, how, how does this parallel? Because this is where I think the Old Testament and the New, the New Testament come together so powerfully in this passage. It's very clear in the passage in Genesis uh, that uh, Isaac carried the wood for the sacrifice. It's interesting that he carried it on his back. He carried the, the sacrifice, uh, the, the wood on his back at, for the sacrifice. And by the way, he was the sacrifice. And I remember Jesus carried wood on his back and carried up a mountain called Calvary. And he was the sacrifice that day. God's provision of a ram on Mount Moriah for Abraham foreshadows his provision of a lamb for us on Mount Calvary. Most scholars believe that uh, Mount Calvary and Mount Moriah are the same mountain. That where Abraham offered his son is the same place where the father offered his son years later. Isaac did not question his father. He willingly obeyed. Jesus willingly obeyed his father's will. He allowed himself to be tied up. He allowed himself to be taunted and to be executed. Abraham's pretty old at this point. Isaac could have easily overpowered his father, but he didn't. When Abraham raised the knife, heaven cried, Stop! Now I know you love me. When God the Father offered his beloved son, The knife of justice fell, and no one yelled stop, and heaven wept. God saw Abraham's sacrifice and said, Now I know you love me because you've not withheld your only son from me, the one you love. We look at Jesus' sacrifice and say to God, Now we know that you love us 
For you did not withhold your only Son, whom you love. Abraham and Isaac needed a sacrifice. We have wood and we have fire, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham gives us the answer that we must understand today before we leave this room. That God has provided a lamb, the lamb, for every one of us. It's not about believing in God. It's not about going to church. It's not about being better than others. It's not about any of that. It's about knowing that there is a lamb who went on an altar 2,000 years ago willingly gave his life for you on a cross and said, it is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. So my question as we close is this. Did Jesus die for you? It's one thing to say that he died. It's one thing to say, I believe he died. It's one thing to say, he's God and I believe he came to earth and he died. It's another thing to say, I, he came to, from heaven to earth. He, he died on a cross, not just for the world, but for me. He died for me. And you say, how do I appropriate his death for me? How do I do that? And the Bible says that you call upon him. Now, there are many people in the world today that would say, I have no desire at all to ask Jesus to be my Savior. I have no desire at all. I'm of a different religious uh, background. I, I, I don't believe in him. Uh, whatever. But, but the Bible, it's just not an automatic thing. It is whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so you have to come to a place and say, have I ever asked Christ to be my lamb, the lamb that God provided, the lamb, the only lamb that, as John said, can take away the sins of me, not the world, but of me. Have you ever done that? Paul says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've invited Christ to come into your life and to be your Savior? If not, when? What are you waiting for? Because everyone needs a lamb. And God has provided the only lamb that we need. Let's pray. And so, Father, we thank you for the gospel as we see it demonstrated in the story as Abraham offered his son. And we see it carried out. When Jesus offered himself, you gave your son and he offered your beloved son you gave for us. It may be that there's someone here today who has never trusted Christ as their savior. They've never crossed that line of faith. Today's the day they need to. And maybe they need to pray a prayer like this. And father, in their own heart, in their own head, maybe they need to pray a prayer that says something like this. Dear Jesus, I realize that I am a sinner and I need a sacrifice, a lamb. And I realize you came from heaven to earth. You got off of your throne and came to earth as a rescue party of one. You climbed up on a cross willingly and allowed yourself to be bound. And the 
knife of justice came down upon you. You lived the life I should have lived. You died the death I should have died. You gave your life to me, and now I give my life to you. I ask that you forgive me and come into my life and change me today. Father, for those who prayed that prayer, I pray that let somebody know that they invited Christ into their life. For those of us, Father, who maybe prayed that prayer recently or prayed it many, many years ago, we thank you for the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Help us, Father, to daily put ourselves on the altar and to just examine our lives to see if there is any possibility that we have put work or family or whatever it is, success, between you and us. Father, help us to rid our lives of idols. Help us never to love anyone or anything more than our love for you. Thank you, Father, that your love for us never changes. We give you thanks and the praise. The precious Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Amen.